Hello, and welcome to Mixed Signals, the show for definitive opinions about all things audio. I'm Berk Mola, and with me are Jack Newcomb and Vasilis Paras. We're the arbiters of sound. And together, we shall define the undefinable and settle all audio debates forever. have a specific kind of question around reverb and and its use right so if you want to set the scene for us yeah so um i was playing with reverb a lot um so for people who don't know i'm i'm a kind of I'm guitarist background so i kind of use reverb a lot um as any any kind of guitarist trying to cover their the terrible habits will do um <laughs> and i recently started putting some tracks together some vocal tracks guitar tracks uh and a little bit of um uh, drums and a couple of other things uh, and i started trying to mix reverb on stuff that wasn't guitar uh, and it didn't sound good. It sounded bad, like really bad. Um, and the more I kind of tried to fix it, the worse it got. In particular, it was the vocal tracks. So I started adding reverb on just the vocal tracks, mix of mix of dry and wet. Um, and it sounded like uh, a band with a singer stood somewhere across the room from the rest of the band, and it sounded bad. Uh, so what's going on, guys? What am I doing wrong? Well, I mean, the first thing to note, I guess, is that reverb doesn't sound good or bad uh, depending on what you put it on. I mean, it can sound good on everything. And in fact, it sounds good on everything used correctly because the world around us has a lot of reverb in in every situation that you're in. There's always some reverb going on, uh, whether you realize it or not. So, um, yeah, in, in most cases or all cases, it's, it's actually... Uh, required to make it sound better. Well, uh, what do you mean by required? What I mean is like what you're trying to do with reverb is important, right? So when you use reverb, you're trying to place the sound that you put the reverb on in a particular space. So that's ultimately what you're trying to do. So that's kind of required in terms of making the sound sound natural, like it's an actual place instead of just being a very artificial dry sort of bland sound if that makes sense yeah yeah it does and like the the kind of my aim was to make it sound make the voice sound like ethereal or kind of you know like you know add a little bit of additional bass to it and kind of make it sound a little bit yeah kind of you know freaky and um uh, wonderful shall we say um but what i got was just like distant and just like disjointed and out of place and just not not good maybe it was out of place in your mix because of uh, what was happening with uh, the rest of the instruments maybe the other instruments were too dry maybe they were too forward and like you said before you created two different places uh, a dry uh, stage for your main mix and then your vocals came from another cave nearby and uh, <laughs> One of my many caves. <laughs> <laughs> because the thing I want to ask you is uh, when you want to add the, the reverb to your vocals, uh, you're saying you're, you're aiming for ethereal. Can you imagine in what space 
you would be listening to those vocals that you are thinking that they would be uh, ethereal and also the music that plays with these vocals, the rest of your mix, in what actual space is that taking place? So then I think you can start choosing the right reverb and making the right ambience around your tracks so that you don't end up, you know, having this kind of uh, situation. Um, to answer your question, I was kind of, I was aiming for something that's kind of sounded like a band playing in like a, a canyon or like a cathedral maybe or something like that. So quite big, quite like, you know, big earthy kind of uh, substantial reverb, um, but but not so much that you you, you couldn't make the instruments out. Um, but yeah, which, which in this case you could, you could make out the individual uh, kind of instruments and tracks, but as you kind of, well, something you've said has definitely kind of struck struck a nerve with me, which is that um, the rest of the instruments weren't in the same space, I guess, as, as, as you put it. And when you think about that canyon, for instance, if you try and, uh, and think what would happen if all of these people playing the track were actually in that canyon physically, and where you, uh, the listener, where would you be in that canyon? Would you be close to the source or would you be further away from all these people playing the music? Would you just be playing in the air? So I guess, yeah, so my assumption would be that you'd want people to be quite far away. Not not like, not, not miles and miles away, but, you know, not basically not right next to the stage because then you're not, I assume you're not going to get any of that that kind of reverberation occurring because you're so close to the sound source or maybe not that you're not going to get it occurring but you're going to the, the dry signal is going to really overwhelm the the wet is that right if you think about reverb it's basically the sound is bouncing off surfaces and it's coming back to you at different times and you know usually you would name that echo or delay if it was very discreet but what's happening uh, right now is that it's bouncing all of these surfaces multiple times and coming back to you at multiple different uh, times. So you've got all these little tiny uh, delays that they fit back into each other and every time they hit a surface, depending on what the surface is uh, made of, maybe some uh, treble will be absorbed, maybe some of the bass will be absorbed. So you get all, the, all of these sounds together and that makes what you perceive as reverb. So if you think, if, if in your mind you can kind of generate that space and you think, what would happen if I were there? How far away would it be? Where would I be getting the reflections from? Would it be dark? Would it be very deep? Would it be very, very bright? Because basically maybe everything is covered in marble or uh, is it a small place so I'm getting all these uh, echoes really, really fast or is it like a very, very large place so maybe... The, by the time it comes back to you, the beginning is a bit of a delay because by the time your voice reaches, let's say, the back wall and comes back, you can actually hear the time difference. Like if you were in a cathedral, for instance. When I used to uh, mix uh, things, I would just take default reverb, throw it on the track, take it up to 70%, that's it. Do it on all the tracks. <laughs> <laughs> What's what's um, what's default <laughs> reverb though in this situation? What's as in like uh, Ableton reverb? 
so if you were to try and recreate that, that so what you've described is, I'm guessing, what's like a, considered a vanilla reverb in terms of plugins um, in, in, in a door. Um, how would you recreate that in real life? Would that be like, would you just, would it be a small room or like a, you know, like are we talking O2 Academy size of uh, reverb or are we talking like, you know, enormous cathedral or what kind of, what 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 are you looking for in that? 2.5 seconds. With the default. Yeah, it was a hole. Yeah, it's definitely a hole. Yeah. That's quite a long reverb, I guess. It's not very bright also, which is kind of nice. I actually I I like dark reverbs, but you know, that's just me. Okay, so we're talking about a lot of different reverbs here. So you're gonna have to you're gonna have to run me through what some of these <laughs> things. I mean, but also like room reverb and hall reverb, I could t- I could hazard a pretty good guess at what those two things mean. Um, but give me an idea of like where does a room become a hall? Yeah, so I mean, if we're talking about like an algorithmic digital reverb like the one in Ableton, uh, it'll just have some parameters that you know you can set, and that kind of defines the characteristics. It's not necessarily trying to create a real space; it's just kind of um, you know emulating how the sounds would bounce off certain walls and objects and whatever, um, and you know it defines the characteristics in that way. So it's not trying to replicate a real space per se, um, but it's got those parameters. So like, for example, the the reverb time or... Yeah, the size, the decay the size, or whatever yeah. they call it. So that, yeah, I mean, that determines sort of in a very broad sense how long the reverb, the tail of the reverb carries on for. So the longer it goes on for, the the bigger the room sounds to your ears because it's like the sound is going for a long time and it's it's not dying down. Depends on the algorithm that a digital uh, reverb is using. Maybe at the end of the day, you don't want to use digital reverb like they did uh, in the old days. Back in the 50s, if they wanted reverb, they had to go re- record in the correct space and place microphones further away from the source and get the sound of uh, whatever cave they were recording in or room or hall and and that's why they have built so many nice recording spaces with like uh, tall ceilings and uh, absorbent material. So this is another element to the to natural reverb. Then is that you actually you can almost well there's 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 a a controllable parameter as you're talking about in that you can put mics in different places to capture different elements of the reverb. So so in some ways you could could you make. Uh, a huge hall not sound as much like a huge hall by by not placing the microphone so far away? It would still be there, I guess. Uh, changing where the microphones are, which is basically changing where the listener would be, uh, would change your perception of how far away the music is coming from. So if, if you think about it, if you're sitting in, a, in an opera house, for instance, and you're sitting uh, very close to the stage, there's definitely going to be that whole ambience that the, the massive uh, room adds to the sound, but you're going to be getting a, l- a lot of the dry sound. Whereas if you're sitting at the back or all the way in the upper circle or whatever it's called, you would be getting more of the reverby sound, more of the wet sound rather than the dry sound from the performers. We've talked about kind of the more natural reverbs, but you you said dark reverb earlier, and I, I I know of some from playing guitar of some other specific reverb effects that I don't really know what they are. Like spring reverb, I assume is not reverb that you play during spring because it's a cool season to play, <laughs> play guitar. In. Oh, I um, never thought of it that way. That's <laughs> awesome. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> should be. Should be. I like summer <laughs> reverb. <laughs> That's my favorite too. It's less uh, rainy. If you think about, you know, the most natural reverb, as we said, would be go be in the room, put a microphone in the room, do whatever you want to do, sing in the room, play drums in the room, capture the sound of the room. You've got reverb. But probably, especially now that a lot of people, if not most people, do recordings in small spaces or in bedrooms or in acoustically not very nice places. Uh there is a lot of other ways of, of doing that. And there have been a lot of other ways uh, of, of doing that since the 50s, I guess. And I think my, my favorite idea of doing, old school idea of doing reverb is basically putting a speaker inside a room. Or maybe it's not a room, it's kind of like a, a little hole, a little tunnel. And then putting a microphone at the other end of it. And then playing the music through the speaker and recording the microphone. So basically, you're getting reverb. And I, I read at some point, I don't remember what studio was that, but this was a big studio, I think in the States, that was built in a in a in an old barn house or something like that. And they had a well. So they had either they had the speaker at the bottom of the well or they had the microphone at the bottom of the well. Let's say they had the speaker at the bottom of the well. And then they had the microphone tied to the mechanism to the bucket. So if they want to change the size of the reverb, they will just lower and raise the bucket. Oh, that's cool. And <laughs> they, they will move further away or closer to the speaker. So that's, they would get like... That's like the world's no. biggest reverb <laughs> guitar pedal then. <laughs> Is that what spring reverb? Okay, no, so no. I'm, I'm playing around, but obviously I'm guessing spring reverb involves like mechanical springs of some form. Yeah, yeah. And how does... Yeah, Beck probably... Berg probably knows better about oh, I mean, spring uh, reverb. Yeah, there's not that much to say. You've you've hit the nail on the head. It's just a big spring, and you basically, you know, throw your sound at it and make it vibrate in a certain way, and then that gives off a certain reverb. But how how does that relate to the natural reverbs? We're like we're talking about all of these different spaces. That's quite a lot of, you know. It doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> It sounds boingy, springy. Can we get an example of what that might sound like, possibly? (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) Jack is not very impressed, right? (laughs) So I'm going to, yeah, I have to pretend I know what the hell you guys are talking about. (laughs) By the way, Jack, you said... um you know, it's trying to simulate something that's trying to simulate a room. I mean, the spring is not trying to simulate a room, just to be clear. It's just an object that kind of relays the the dry sound and gives it a characteristic, really. You know, again, think of it as like a something that the sound is bouncing off of rather than it's trying to create a real sense of space. So there's a difference there between the spring and, you know, putting your sound into a room let's say and recording that but okay so i'm still struggling to picture how that kind of like i'm imagining somebody just shouting at a spring and that's somehow creating a a reverb effect where i'm guessing it's a bit more complicated than that think of it this is going to be another simplification but think of like your guitar signal is connected to a spring in a spring tank so a spring tank is basically uh, a little box 
inside your amplifier. And it usually has one to three springs in it. Your signal goes there and it excites the springs. So the springs start vibrating. And at the other end of the spring, there is a little pickup and it picks up these vibrations and turns the back into sound. Okay, that's, yeah, okay, I think that's a bit clearer. Yeah, I, I know it's a kind of, you know, simplistic way of putting it, but basically because the spring vibrates like really fast and in a really wobbly way, it creates these really, let's say, unpredictable, very small delays that your ear perceives as very similar to reverb. And obviously you can tell it's a spring reverb if you hit it with a transient, if you hit it with a very short noise, because then you can clearly hear the what they call the drip, the real boingy sound of the spring going wow. <laughs> well, I think I know what you mean. It's that kind of is it that kind of thing where it sounds like a raindrop with pitch towards the end of the note? Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, I, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I want to. I really want to dig into this more and ask about like the types of springs and the attributes, the surface area, and like it would it, you know would does changing the decay time does that get rid of the drip? No, you never. You you can never get rid of the drip. Uh, okay, uh, that that's that's the sound. If if you if you want a sound if you want a mechanical thing creating reverb and you don't want it to be drippy, then you should look into plate reverbs. That was a smooth transition. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about that. Why doesn't my guitar amp have a plate reverb? <laughs> uh, because your guitar amp is probably smaller than your room. Yes, definitely. Yes. <laughs> It's the biggest amp I'm allowed to have, let's say. I don't know. I, I actually, I, I, I've personally never seen a plate reverb in real life. Okay. I mean, yeah, so I, I've seen a picture of one, so I know what it looks like. I have no idea how it works, but I'm guessing it's a similar principle to spring reverb. Yeah, in a way. I've never seen one in real life either, to be honest. Um, but yeah, it's a big plate, a big metal plate. Quite, I don't know how big are they usually. Do you have any idea? I mean, uh, from from judging by the pictures, they should be something yeah. like uh, like two meters by whatever one and a half. Oh, yeah, meter. yeah, yeah. That sounds about so right. So the one the one that I've seen looks a bit like it's the kind of size and dimensions and a little bit similar looking to like a whiteboard in an office or school. Exactly, yeah. Um, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But with a huge metal plate instead of a, a, a kind of white shiny board. Um, so one of the interesting things about that is it's 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 a huge square or rectangle shape that must somewhat affect the, the qualities of the reverb. It's a very nice idea, the the plate reverb, because basically like the spring reverb, it's basically like a tiny speaker attached to the plate. And that is transferring your signal onto the plate. So then you can imagine the sound is spreading in two dimensions on the plate. And then at the other end of the plate, there's going to be two little, like, tiny microphones that will be translating the vibration back into sound. If you think about these two microphones, it's, it, it's like if your ears were inside that two-dimensional space. And the way the waves move from the uh, point where the transducer is on the plate, it creates the reflections that would be created in a similar rectangular space. It's just that it's a simplification of that space because it's two-dimensional instead of being three-dimensional. Okay, that's interesting. So 
When you say there are microphones at the other end capturing it, like if you were stood next to a plate reverb, could you physically hear the sound or is it actually, is it something you have to boost in post? Yeah, you could hear it. I mean, think of it, I guess it's quite similar to how uh, the body of an instrument would react to sound. So it's just, it's kind of vibrating and giving that, you know, emanating that sound from it. Uh, okay, so this is like the the natural sound of, say, a guitar body in certain cases. So obviously, like with more like with acoustic, uh, a double bass. I'm going to guess is getting a lot of its natural reverb from the body. And what you're saying is that the plate reverb is is like a almost like a, a, an instrument's natural reverb added afterwards. Well, not not in all cases, but could you perceive it like that? It's it's a resonator, like like resonator guitars or. Again, probably the easiest thing for way for me to describe it is if you took a speaker and you put it face down on a table and then you put your ear on the other end of the table, you would hear the speaker through the table and it would be colored by the table, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. We've talked about a lot of different kinds of reverb now. So we've talked about a lot of natural reverbs uh, and we've talked about uh, spring and plate uh, and we've talked a little bit about digital. Um, but I guess that's a kind of over overarching topic for all of these. Is, is there any other reverbs mm -hmm. of, of note? Berg's favorite one. My favorite one, yeah. Well, I guess it is now. Um, so convolution reverbs is another big kind of area, I suppose. I have um, no idea what that is. Yeah, this is going back to the, you know, realistic kind of world so in this case what you would do is you're trying to get the characteristics of a real space so what you do is you figure out how that space responds to sounds and frequencies so for example you would play a very quick uh, impulse as they call it in a particular let's say you know cathedral or room or whatever space you want to get the characteristics of and you would record how it responds to that. And that, by applying that reaction, the sound that you pick up from that impulse, by applying that to, you know, a different sound, you know, your vocal or whatever you want to put reverb on, you're in theory mimicking how your voice would sound in that space. Okay, that's interesting. Um, it's it's an amazing idea if you think mm. about it. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's very mathematical. Uh, exactly, um, exactly. How good is it in terms of like how faith or how faithful do you feel that a good convolutional reverb is? I mean, in theory, it's very very faithful. Um, it's definitely going to be a lot better than you know you trying to mimic that space through parameters or anything like that because. It just picks up all the subtleties of, you know, all uh, the shape of the walls, all the imperfections. Maybe there are objects inside the room that affects how things bounce off. And like it's, you're you're literally recording the room, right? So it's never going to be more faithful than that. Um, uh, you know, in terms of me listening to my voice in a cathedral and being able to say like, oh yeah, that sounds like that place. I mean, that's hard to do, I suppose, but in theory, it's it's very faithful. In theory, it should be as faithful as the way you record it. If you are recording it uh, with uh, a good impulse and if you are recording it with uh, good flat microphones, uh, even better stereo microphones, in theory, it should be as good as someone sitting there and listening to the sound. We said before, if you were in a theater 
and you set up the microphones in in the balcony and then someone went on stage and fired a, a gunshot which is dark man <laughs> dark. at you <laughs> uh, which is usually how they what they use for um, uh, impulses then if the microphones were good and flat uh, the impulse response you would get of the room would be uh, supposedly how someone sitting on that uh, seat would perceive someone uh, playing something on stage uh, to sound like in that uh, in that room. Yeah, that's a good point. Like they tend to have multiple positions in that room, so you can kind of place yourself in that room in in the various places that they've recorded impulses from. And obviously, you can mess around with uh, you can mess around with the impulse response and uh, like pretend that you're moving closer or pretend that you're moving to the left or the right or things that are being done algorithmically afterwards. But yeah, the, the supposedly the perfect image is the one that happens with the uh, with the real recording from wherever the impulse was uh, taking place to wherever it was being uh, recorded from. Well, I'll tell you what, Jack. Maybe you can tell me if my voice sounds good in a particular space if it sounds faithful maybe we can give it a go yeah okay yeah in some famous buildings yeah so what building is this where are we visiting first oh the national theater can have the national theater in london maybe that's uh close to home hello oh Berk. wow hello vasilis where are you this is my voice in the national theater in london Okay, yeah, I mean, so where is this, have we got an idea of where you are? are you on, I assume you're on centre center stage in the National Theatre. Yes, I believe so, in this case. Okay, that's good. I mean, it's not it's not super pronounced, but I guess that's what you'd expect from a, a kind of a theatre venue. Um, yeah. Well, you can also um, dial up the mix. So in this case, we had, ooh, we had a 25, and now this is 100%. I don't know, you can still hear me. That's really reverby for use of a better term. Um, uh, so, what am I hearing in terms of is was the when when you say dialing it up? What are we dialing it up? Are we are we moving the listener further away? That was a dry wet mix. So, uh, if we wanted to be a hundred percent in the theater, we should be at a hundred percent wet. Oh, really? The, yeah. But that sounds so, that sounds like, you know, the subway tunnel level of reverb. So I guess if it's just you and one other guy in the room, uh, you know, stood kind of, you know, yeah, somewhere in the aisles, um, maybe it's going to sound that level of, of reverb. I guess one of the things that's interesting that you can't replicate is where is, is the is the kind of where the listener actually is in relation to where they're receiving it. Like you can't, you can place the person in the room, right? But you can't place the listener. Now, apparently we can see now that uh, the listener is seven meters away from the source. Oh, wow, in, really? Uh, in the, what is that, the Olivier stage. Okay, so can we, can we, can we show what that sounds like a little bit closer and further away? Uh, there you go. So this is me a bit closer. How close? Is that right? Where the tickets are becoming very expensive now. There's a twenty pound difference between this seat and. 
that would be that would be an awesome feature of um, any ticket selling site to give you an idea of the reverb you were going to receive. Just like I've said before, like when they say you're like by the pillar, if they could just give me a little photo from the seat of whereabouts <laughs> the pillar is, I'd be I'd probably be quite happy. But you know, you just want to know you're not pillar center, right? Okay, so we were pretty much sat in his lap there, and he's charging us a lot of money. Where are we now? Oh, okay. Bert so wants to. I wanted a different travel. One. Travel somewhere else. Where yeah. do you want to travel to? I want to Sydney? travel home, actually. Oh, where's home? Uh, there's Rotterdam now. There's Where? Amsterdam, probably, somewhere. Uh, go to concert hall. So, concert? Yeah, concert Gebou. Gebou? Gebou, man. Gebou. Gebou. <laughs> okay, let's go with that. Um, oh, that sounds very nice. Hello, this is me in the concert Gebou in Amsterdam. <laughs> I, I mean, okay, I like that one. That sounds really nice. That's I think that sounds nicer to my ears than the, the National Theatre. Somebody out there is going to hate me for saying that, aren't they? But um, okay, no, that's really big. That's like you know, that's down in the canyons again. These theatres still have speakers, right? So they're still sending out some dry mix near to where the listeners at the back are. I would assume. I'm not sure about that. If you're listening to classic music, most of the time it doesn't have uh, speakers. It's it's live without, you know, whatever you hear from the stage. Wow. Yeah, that's why the orchestra is so massive. Uh, yeah, fair point. Yeah. yeah, I hadn't thought of it like that. Berk is moving further away from me. I, I have no idea what he's saying. <laughs> yeah, you really do sound like, yeah, down in the depths of hell at this point. You're way below the camera. Maybe they have a, an impulse response of hell. <laughs> oh, next door. That that seems... Next door. Oh, upstairs. I'm watching you. Are you upstairs, Bert? <laughs> I'm watching you. <laughs> this is spoken like a man who said that before. My idea is that we should make an impulse response of Berg's bathroom, which is very, very nice. And we should, you know... Sell it. You know, give it uh, for free to people who might want to see what it feels like to sing in the shower when you're Berk. <laughs> so when you're showering with me. Let, let's definitely talk about <laughs> Berk's bathroom. Let's go all the way back now to my problem, because I want to talk about problems I have with reverb, um, of course. Uh, <laughs> so something you said in particular about um, picking reverbs based on spaces has made me think that adding reverb to only one or two tracks in a song is not a good idea or isn't is is not giving me at least the the kind of effect that I'm looking for would I be better off adding reverb to the master track and making it like an overall every, everything has the same reverb applied to it well I wouldn't say that's a good strategy I guess because you couldn't really control how much reverb your tracks have like you would kind of lose control of how it would sound and also every instrument would just sound like they're in the same space which you know in theory it kind of makes sense but it doesn't actually sound that good in practice okay so why is that if you were going for a certain effect like uh, you had uh, let's say a band and the band recorded very dry and you wanted a uh, your mix to sound like someone was sitting, I don't know, three meters away from the band listening to the band in the room, then by all means put reverb on the master. That's exactly what 
you would get. But I don't think that this is a very sophisticated uh, production sound. That's probably not what you're looking for. You're not looking for that very natural sound that it seems like everyone is playing in the same room and you're sitting at the same distance. Like in mixes, you will notice that more bassy stuff tends to not have reverb so that it stands out and it's not muddy, like kick drums and basses and things like that. Whereas other things that you want them to... Uh, be more prominent uh, like vocals and maybe guitar solos or uh, whatever might uh, or snare drums that's where most of the reverb will be what Berg is trying to say is that instead of putting uh, one reverb on the master probably the easiest thing to do is make a, a return track with uh, the reverb and then place the reverb there 100% wet and then start sending to that the amounts of reverb you want every instrument of your mix to have. So basically, maybe you send more vocal to that reverb, but you send less of certain of the bass or the kick drum. Or uh, interesting. It's worth pointing out. Like it's kind of hard if you're not really, you know, uh, if you haven't done a lot of mixing, let's say, or you don't know much about sound engineering. Um, what we tend to hear in sort of modern mixes like rock and you know those kind of genres pop whatever um it's, they're not really trying to be realistic most of the time almost 100 percent of the time you're just kind of mixing in a very artificial space actually um you know putting a reverb on the master might be good for like a classical orchestra or something like that where you just want to add a little bit of space, a little bit of kind of flavor to the recording, but not change it too much. But in the case of these more mainstream genres, let's say, um, it tends to be a bit more creative mixing and lots of different types of reverb for different tracks and so on. It's, it's more about sort of making things hit you and stand out and fit together nicely rather than, okay, let's put all in one place. And obviously there's lots of different and conflicting sometimes advice on how you should put reverb on your mixes. And definitely following one uh, school of uh, advice is not necessarily correct. It depends on what what is the style you're going for. So if, for instance, you feel like you want a massive 80s whatever reverb on your snare, then you should do that on your snare. You shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't have a reverb that's massive and trying to throw everyone in the same massive reverb and throw more of the snare in that reverb to create the effect. Maybe if you want uh, your voice to sound like it's coming from a canyon, then maybe, yes, you should put the voice in a canyon and then try to see how all the other instruments might be in a smaller space that kind of complements that. And, uh, and, and start also thinking about EQing maybe things before or after they go to the reverb. Maybe, for instance, uh, the bass guitar, maybe you want, you want it to be a bit more live, but obviously if you throw all the bass in the reverb, it will get very, very muddy. So maybe you want to high pass the bass before it hits the reverb. So the bass is still there, it's, it's dry, the, the bass of the bass, but uh, the treble uh, is uh, a bit wet and maybe that gives you uh, a bit of uh, dimension in your mix. Okay, that's interesting. So that's something I'm definitely going to play around with, as uh, as you said, having having that wet track of the reverb as as a send return. Um, 
it's not something that ever would have really occurred to me as as use as a method because um I mean, because obviously, yeah, so at the beginning I said, oh yeah, just just on master stick every, just put reverb over everything. But that's, as you say, it's not the same as sending different levels or as you said, kind of putting filters in front of instruments before you send them through that reverb. Um, I'm guessing that's what you were talking about, Burke, when you said it's not going to give you the flexibility that, or it's not going to give you the sound you you think you're going to get if you just blast master with with, with the same effect. Yeah. Um, which I, I should know because that's the, that's the same with every effect, right? You know, you're going to get very weird stuff happening if you just um, put a put any given effect all the way over the master track, um, with, yep. with the exception of maybe compression in some cases and stuff like that, but. Can we get a few examples of some of the types of reverb that we've talked about? Because um, that would help me and probably some people listening to to visualize what these different reverbs sound like. Okay, so if we start with Twilight Galaxy by Metric, for example, I know you like this track a lot, um, Jack. Yeah, yeah. So the deal with this one is that it's got a kind of uh, reverbed and sort of EQ'd drum part, and the rest of it's actually reasonably dry. But it just gives you that sense of space just with that. So if I play a little bit of it now. As you can tell it's pretty pretty long reverb, I guess. Yeah, I think there's there's some sort of filter on those drums at the beginning as well, isn't there? It's quite yeah. pronounced. voice is very very dry since a little i think there's a little bit on that but it's mostly like kind of guitar effects and mm. and it, it really makes the drums very pronounced it's kind of almost a lead part of the song in a way that you don't get in a lot of uh yeah classic rock I guess a, a very obvious kind of uh, comparison of drum parts, uh, one with very, you know, is notoriously dry and the other one is quite roomy. Oh, okay. Yeah, we all know this one. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, if you listen to the... The drum part at the beginning of this, it's it's very, very dry. Almost claustrophobic. Yeah. But we got a little bit of reverb on the guitars. Yeah. Uh, and then I quite like this song, because the beginning is also just drums, and it's very, very roomy. Really hear the room just it sounds really natural. Yeah. Who are we listening to, by the way? You have to list you have to list these out. So the first one was Weird Fishes by Radiohead, and the second one is New Fang by Them Crooked Vultures. Ah, so a okay. good comparison of drums there. My examples are mostly old examples now. You've played, obviously, Them Crooked Vultures, and it reminds me of uh, 
basically the, the Led Zeppelin uh, drum sound. So which is very, very loud and very, very vibrant. Obviously, there's a, a technique involved, but in terms of recording, they did record the drums in usually very big spaces. So they would get this very uh, natural, massive reverb that makes uh, that explosive bonum sound. Tall ceilings. And yeah. And the other thing I wanted to say, because I, I really like the idea, it's a very dated sound, I guess, but I was listening to Simon and Carfancio's uh, Bridge of a Troubled Water, the, the album, and all the ballads on that album, Bridge of a Troubled Water and The Boxer and The Only Living Boy in New York, they have all these big uh, chamber uh, reverb sounds that, and especially in some choruses, they I read that they even double, triple, quadruple track themselves singing and then played it through a speaker in a massive chamber or a big hall and then they recorded that. drums for the boxer in some in a staircase that has an elevator and and it does sound very very uh, roomy and very very weird because uh, I think it's a very very big sound for for that era okay that's interesting I mean uh, yeah I guess they were probably leading the way somewhat uh, in doing those kind of things um, those are all awesome songs as well um, which which parts of those songs do you feel have the reverb applied most effectively for the boxer, it's very obvious. It's the big snare sound in in the chorus. It's like an explosive the sound, which is yeah, it is very it's very dated, I think. But it, I know that the the Beatles had uh, tried doing a lot of uh, reverb things on in Abbey Road, but. It doesn't. Uh, I listened to the entirety of it, and it doesn't stand out as much as uh, the reverb stands out in uh, Bridge of the Troubled Water. So yeah, one other example I wanted to pick up on just because it's it's the only one that really sprang to mind for me where I think they go like the reverb you could argue is a good 50% of the song is, uh, do you know Wicked Game by Chris Isaac? Old 90s tune, uh, I forget it was in some David Lynch film I think which is how it kind of, uh, kind of became famous because it's, it's pretty kind of standard poppy country fare but um the reverb on the guitars and the voice is just like it's a ridiculous amount of reverb like they're really hammering uh on the decay
if you for some reason listened to us talk about all of this and you still don't actually, you came in not knowing what reverb was, go and listen to that song. That song is the definition of, of, of reverb, even if you don't like the song. It's just that there's so much of it in there used to, to very good effect. I just want to mention one last one, which I actually like. It's kind of quirky, but um, there's more to life than this by Björk, uh, which is recorded in an actual toilet of a of a nightclub, I believe. Uh, so you kind of, yeah, it sounds very toilety. And then at some point she, you kind of hear her going into another cubicle or, or another room or something. And then the music is like, you know, all bassy and she's singing her own kind of solo bit, let's say. It's very interesting, you should check it out. Aren't the instruments in the club and Jörg is in the toilet? Later on she goes in, yeah, she goes in and closes the door and sings her little kind of verse. I think we've we've talked previously off recording about the the, the natural low pass filter of standing in a in a toilet in a club. Mm. <laughs> uh, it's coming yeah. back. It's making a return. You can create your own drops, man. It's it's amazing. Uh, you just stand in the <laughs> toilet and run out at the uh, the opportune time. Um, we'll, we'll close things off here. Um, yeah, I've definitely learned some interesting things. I've got now I've got a new uh, a new tool in my toolkit that I can go away and play with to try and make my song sound better. And next time I'll, I'll come back and complain to you about something else that I can't get it my, my mastering to do. Um, right. Thanks, guys. And, uh, yeah, I'll see you both next time. All right. See you next time. See you, man. This episode of Great Signals was brought to you by Absolutely Next Signals.